Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Um, Would you pray with me this morning before we get into the message? Father, we just invite you to come in and we invite you to speak. God, I just take a moment to just breathe in your presence and invite you to come and to do more. Lord, uh, I feel like you've been with me in this process of preparing this message, and I feel like we've worked together to prepare this. And so I'm asking that now you would come and you would speak and you would use the words that you've given me to have your way in this place. God, I give you access and I give you permission. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, So I love Disney World. I'm just telling you that this morning. No, I'm just kidding. That would be funny, though. But seriously, I do love Disney World. I'm not um, a huge Mickey Mouse fan. That's not what it is. The food at Disney is phenomenal. Uh, The weather at Disney is even better. But that's not why I love Disney. I love Disney because everything at Disney is designed to make you feel like you are in the most magical place on Earth. Disney spends thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars making you feel like you are in a magical, magical place. And if you've ever taken the Magical Express, which is their bus service from the airport to Disney, you ride in this very air-conditioned, tinted window so you can't see what's outside around you, and you watch Disney videos on your way to Disney property. Um, And it hit me because this past year I went to Orlando for a conference, and I did not take the Magic Express from the airport. I took a regular car, and I realized how different of an experience it was. Disney spends so much time and effort putting in a strategy that makes you feel like you're in the most magical place on earth. And I'm a strategy person, which is why I'm such a sucker for this. I fall for it every single time. And as I've thought about my message um, in preparation for this, people have asked me, what are you preaching on? Um, And I felt a little sheepish saying Christmas because it seems like such a message that we've heard so many times. But really what struck me as I sought after the Lord for these services was just this idea of the strategy of Christmas and how we can return to this wonder of Jesus, this wonder of strategy that God used sending Jesus to earth at this time. And so uh, that's really my hope this morning is that we would be filled with the wonder that is Christmas, that God used this strategy at Christmas time. Uh, when I began to prepare to speak on this this weekend, I asked Mike if we would be in a sermon series, and I said, is there any direction you want me to take? And he really kind of said, I want you to listen to the Lord and speak out of that. And this is the place that I kept coming back to, this idea of the strategy of Christmas. Um, and I kept asking this question, why Jesus was born through Mary? Why was this the plan? Um, Pastor Mike kind of mentioned this a little bit last week in his message. He talked about how Christmas is not actually an affirmation of our humanity, but it's actually a revelation of just how dark our humanity is and how Uh, Our humanity is in such chaos and such darkness that we cannot solve our situations, we cannot solve our problems out of our own humanity, but we actually need an intervention to come and step in and to save us. And the very intervention that we need was the very presence of God. Nothing less than the presence of God could save us. 
Uh, Pastor Mike used this illustration about how as parents we send our word to our children. We say things like share or take turns or don't make me come down there. And how this is a picture of our perfect loving father who doesn't just send his word but actually came down here. Uh, The mighty God of heaven came to earth as a baby to redeem humanity and make it right again. And so I really feel like this is where the Lord wants to speak this morning. Um, I realize that a lot of us in this room understand things like the redemption of humanity, but I also don't want to miss some of us who maybe this seems like, what does that mean, the redemption of humanity? That's a pretty big idea, and so I wanted to unpack that a little bit this morning so that we can journey together through this message. And so as Christians, we believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created the sky and the oceans, and he created animals and plants, and he created man. And he decided that it was not good for man to be alone, and so he created woman. And they lived together in the garden, and they had full relationship, full access to God. There was nothing that separated them. Now, when God created man and woman, he didn't want to just make robots who would just automatically serve him and do whatever he wanted them to do. He wanted to create a people that would choose to serve him out of love for him, that they would respond to the love that he had for them, and they would choose to worship them worship him. And so he creates these boundaries. And most of us know that the boundary that God set within the garden was do not eat from this specific tree. And most of us know that they did not listen. They decided to operate out of their own wisdom, and they did, in fact, eat from this tree. Uh, We as parents, we understand this idea of boundaries. Uh, We set boundaries for our kids because we love them, not because we're trying to control them, although sometimes that gets a little funky. I realize that. But boundaries are really this way of telling our kids and expressing to our kids how much we love them. So, for example, when our kids are little, we tell them, don't touch the stove. It's hot. You'll get burned. That's a boundary. Um, In our households, my two oldest are eight and nine. They tell me all the time how every single person in their class has a cell phone. I don't buy it. But a boundary... It's a boundary in our household. It's a family value of ours that at this age, our kids do not need cell phones. That's our boundary that we set. So we have family values or family uh, things that we want to set within the context of our families. And so that's what this idea is of setting up boundaries uh, for those that we love. But we all understand that we have free will and we have a choice to respond to the love and the boundaries that are set for us or we don't respond to those. And so we see with Adam and Eve that they decided to operate out of their own wisdom, uh, that they did what the Father had specifically asked them not to do, and it creates a separation between them and God. And so for the first time in all of humanity, sin has entered the picture. Shame has entered the picture. The weight of their actions has entered into the scene, and there's now this separation between man and woman and God where they were once able to just be in constant fellowship and relationship. Now there's insecurity, there's fear, there's sin, there's pain, there's all of these things that never existed before the fall of mankind. And so from that time on, until Jesus was born, and on through his life, and his death, and his resurrection, and on through now, God has been on mission to bring everyone back into the relationship that they were created and intended for in the beginning. And that's what we mean when we talk about the redemption of humanity. So the question I kept coming back to is, like, why a baby? Why not just send a full-grown man? 
why a pregnancy? Uh, why not just create some kind of magical Disney baby, right? <laughs> why come up with this strategy that's so nuanced? Why this strategy of sending a fetus into an unmarried woman, a fetus that would grow into a man and give his life in order that we could return to the relationship that we were intended for? Now, as I already mentioned, I'm a strategy person, and the definition of strategy is a plan of action or policy designed to achieve a major or overall aim. And I mentioned this is why I love Disney. Everything at Disney, from the smells to the sounds to the costumes, it is designed to make you feel like you are in the most magical place on Earth and not in the swamps of Orlando, Florida. And I'm their sucker. I cannot tell you how much money that I have spent at Disney because I love their strategy. I love looking at an end goal and accomplishing that goal with a clear plan. Now, Pastor Mike mentioned that when God sent Jesus as a baby, it kind of flipped the script a little bit because it made what seemed to be wisdom foolishness, and it made foolishness wisdom. It really kind of switched everything around. And it also displayed God's strategic plan to bring us back into relationship, the relationship that we were created to enjoy and to have with him. So this plan of God, of Jesus, of God sending Jesus to earth as, as humanity, has to have some kind of overall aim. There's a clear strategy behind this. So this morning I want to look uh, in the Gospel of John. And just for some reference, the Bible is broken up into two parts. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Agreement, everything that took place before Jesus steps onto the scene. And then the New Testament, everything that takes place now that Jesus is in the picture. The first four books of the Bible are called the Gospels, and they all tell the story of Jesus' life from different perspectives, and they're written by different authors. Uh, normally, at Christmas time, we might read from Matthew or Luke on the birth of Jesus, but I really want to look at the book of John. John was written by uh, a guy who refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved, which I realize that, ma that makes him sound a little arrogant and pompous. Uh, but that's just how John chooses to identify himself, and honestly, it's how we could all choose to identify ourselves. Uh, John's accounts of Jesus' life are different than that of the other Gospels. He's very intentional about what he includes in his book versus what the other Gospels include. And he even says in chapter 21 that Jesus did so much that there's not enough books in all the earth to hold all of that information. The purpose of John's gospel is much different than that of the other gospels. Uh, Matthew was written to demonstrate the kingship of Jesus. Mark presents Jesus as the love slave of God, one who labors faithfully for God. And Luke presents Jesus as truly man and truly the Savior. The gospel of John unveils Jesus as the son of God and demonstrates the mysterious and miraculous person of Jesus. John chapter 1 is essentially the same story as the birth of Jesus found in the other Gospels, but it starts much earlier in the timeline. I'll be reading from the Passion Translation this morning. I really like this translation. And I'm going to read to you because reading together is a Pastor Mike thing, and I'm not Pastor Mike. <laughs> so John 1, 1 through 5, and then 10 through 14. In the beginning, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. 
They were, face, they were together face to face in the very beginning. And through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. Life came into being because of him. For his life is light for all humanity. And this living expression is the light that burst through gloom, the light that darkness could not diminish. He entered into the very world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the very people he created, to those who should have recognized him, but they did not receive him. But those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become children of God. He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by man's desire, but he was born of God. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Jesus existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit before he came to live among us. He was not created when God initiated this strategy. He just put on humanity and came to earth. I love the using of the phrase, the living expression. A lot of us are a little bit more familiar with in the beginning was the word, but I love this idea of the living expression because I think that it demonstrates to us why Jesus was sent to be born as a baby through Mary. In verse 14, it says, And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. Through the life of Jesus, we get to see the splendor of the glory of God. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved Son who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now he has unfolded to us the full explanation of who God is. Because of the closeness of relationship between Jesus and God the Father, we get to see who God is and what he's like. And prior to this, in stories of the Old Testament, anyone who had ever gotten close to the presence of God was either killed or had to veil themselves to keep from seeing the glory in its fullness. But now, because Jesus became a man, we get to see God. We get to see the living expression of who God is. God sent Jesus to live with humanity as a human so that we could have a clear picture of who he is. Have you ever thought that you understood something until you actually understood something? You know, we have these ideas that we think we know something, but we don't really know it until we know it. Uh, when my daughter Lucy was in kindergarten, I got a call from her teacher um, asking me to come in for a meeting. Now, as parents, we know that when you get a phone call from a teacher the week before parent-teacher conferences, you can expect that they're going to tell you something important. And so I come into this meeting, and her teacher tells me how lovely Lucy is in class, and she gets along with people, and she's very sweet, but she's not making the academic advances that she needs to at this point. Uh, she doesn't recognize her letters or her numbers, and she's just really not meeting the standards of where she needs to be. And so I told her teacher that I kind of knew this about Lucy and thought that she could fix it, but um, that I'd, I'd been working on this with her, and she just, she, Lucy didn't care to know. And, and I knew this about Lucy because Lucy's a lot like me. If she, if she doesn't understand why something is important to know, then why know it? It doesn't matter. And so essentially what I could see happening is my daughter choosing not to learn her letters because it was not important to her. And so I came up with a strategy, because I'm a strategy person, of how I would get Lucy to understand the importance of knowing her letters and her numbers. 
Uh, Lucy loves books. She loved books then. She still does. And so I thought, I'll tell her how important it is to know your letters so she could know how to read. And so I explained to Lucy the importance of knowing her letters. And she tells me, I already know how to read because she would look at the pictures and she would make up the story. So in her mind, she could already read. And I said, but Lucy, don't you want to know what the author is telling you? Don't you want to know what the real story in this book is? Don't you want to know what the letters mean, what the story is? And she said, but I already know my letters, L-U-C-Y. <laughs> you see, without Jesus revealing who God the Father is, through Jesus' life and character, we're just like Lucy. We think we know who God is and we get by on what we see and on our assumptions, but until we actually hear the sounds and recognize the symbols, we don't know who God is. And I thought about it this way. Uh, each one of my kids is different. I have four kids. Each one of them speaks a different language. And I have to enter into their world and into the things that they like and speak their language. Otherwise, we will never be able to communicate with each other. And this is essentially what God does through Jesus by sending him to earth at this time. God wants us to know him. His desire is still for us to choose to worship him out of our own free will, that we would see who he is, that we would see how deep and intense his love is for us. With Jesus demonstrating who God is through his human life, we get to see the character of God that our human minds can begin to understand. God sent Jesus to live with humanity as a human so that we could have a clear picture of who he is. John 1.12 says this, But those who embraced him and took hold of his name were given authority to become the children of God. God sent Jesus to live with humanity as a human. There we go. Uh, because it's his desire that we would return to the relationship and the fellowship that we were intended for. The relationship that we had with him in the garden. Pastor Mike talked a few weeks ago about how the redemption of humanity had to come through a man because the fall of man happened through a man. And because God is true to his character and true to his word, we are still people with a free will. We are still people who are separated from God. So there's still an ever-present separation between us and God. But this longing within us for the presence of God, that never fell. All, as humans, throughout the Old Testament, we tried for many years to get close to God by making sacrifices. Um, and there were some in the Bible who did have a close relationship with God, right? Like Noah heard from God instructions on how to build an ark. Moses actually heard God's voice on a mountaintop and was given the Ten Commandments, guidelines for relationship with God. And David, who as we read about through the Psalms, the scripture says he was a man after God's own heart because he constantly sought to be in the presence of God even in the midst of failure. But God desires that all people, that all men, that all women, that all children would live in his presence and that they would live knowing him and live being in his presence. He knew that we needed a living expression of his goodness, a living expression of his righteousness in order to make the ultimate sacrifice of giving his life in order that we would find life. Now, ancient laws required that sins be made right by a sacrifice. And sacrifice, if we really think about it, is actually part of our human nature. Uh, to think that if we've done something wrong, then we deserve the outcome of that, or to think that if we do something right, we deserve the right outcome of that. 
And we hear a whole lot about karma in our day and age. And karma is an idea from Hinduism or Buddhism that the sum of our life choices determines our, the outcome of our future. So for example, if I cut somebody off in line at Target, I really shouldn't be surprised when I'm cut off on the Palisades Parkway. <laughs> Or, if I've done everything right, then I'm shocked and surprised when things don't automatically go my way. And this is human nature, right? And I know this is human nature because of my children. Because my children have often come to me and they say things like, Mommy, I want Pokemon cards. I deserve Pokemon cards. Or, Mommy, I want ice cream. Or, Mommy, I want V-Bucks. Or, Mommy, I want this because I deserve it. Mommy, I made my bed. And me and my brothers didn't fight. And I got good grades in school. I deserve to have ice cream. And this makes us chuckle a little because we all know that our kids don't actually deserve these things. Our kids think that because they've behaved and listened for 10 minutes, that it negates all of the choices that they made before that, and it also covers up all of the choices that they're going to make after that. But the truth is that ice cream and V-Bucks and Pokemon cards and all of these treats, they're all grace because my kids don't deserve it. And the truth is, I don't either. Because even on my best days, when I've done everything right, I've listened to worship music, my house is clean, I didn't raise my voice, I've sacrificed sugar and carbs, I've done everything that I should do, it still does not give me the authority to become a child of God, and it definitely does not give me the right to stay there. Only someone who lived a truly perfect life, who actually deserved a face-to-face -face relationship with God, only someone like that could make that sacrifice on my behalf. Only Jesus, who lived a perfect life and understood humanity because he lived within its relationships just as we do, could take on himself my immorality, my wrong, and pay the price. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That literally means that if sin were a job, your paycheck would be death. The earning for sin is death, but because God desires to bring us all back into relationship with him, he sent his son Jesus to put on humanity like it was a skin in Fortnite and wear it and make the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. And now when we embrace his name, we are given the authority to be called the children of God. God sent Jesus to live with humanity as a human because his desire is for us to return to that relationship that we were intended for. I love the first part of John 1.14 that says, And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. Or the ESV says it this way, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The NIV says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or the message says it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> this word, lived, or dwelt, is actually a word in Greek that means to encamp. It literally, literally means to pitch a tent and set up shop. Jesus took up residence and lived with us. And this brings me to the third reason why this strategy makes me filled with so much wonder is that it has always been God's desire to partner with humanity. God sent Jesus to live with humanity as a human to bring the rule and reign of heaven to earth in partnership. I love that God chose Mary. I love that there was nothing extraordinary about Mary other than the Bible says that she was highly favored. 
Luke 1, we find the story of the angel coming to Mary, and it says this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The angel Gabriel was declaring, that Jesus, the Son of God, was about to come to earth and set up shop, and he was going to do it through Mary, through her womb, through her life, and through her family. Now, there's a lot riding on Mary, and while it's the Holy Spirit who's going to come and overshadow her and breathe life into her womb, Mary still had to bring a baby to term. And while this is God's perfect plan, and so there is favor on Mary's life, I can tell you from being pregnant four times that being pregnant is not a walk in the park. <laughs> and I just want to pause here and say this, that there are some women who like to tell you that being pregnant is so magical and their bodies bounce back and it's the greatest thing ever. They're lying to you. It's a farce. It's a total farce. Being pregnant is hard. And I love it. I did it four times. I wouldn't have done it that many times if I didn't love it. But being pregnant, giving birth, and being a mom is difficult. Um, <laughs> that was perfect. But as I thought about this, right, I thought about how unique this is. It struck me that essentially the angel Gabriel could have shown up to Joseph and could have, like, given him a baby. And essentially it would have been a similar story, right? Like, it still would have been the same family unit, the same idea. It still could have happened that way. But God did something that only a woman, that only a mother could do. Because when you're pregnant, you literally give all of your body for a human to grow inside of you. And then after that, your body changes. And so you've already gone through this whole thing of your clothes don't fit the same way and smells smell different and food tastes weird and then you have a baby and your body does not bounce back and you have to figure that one out and then for however many years you have to nurture and nurse and take care of a baby and that is significant because God did something that he could only do through a mother's womb Mary was pregnant with the savior of the world God entrusted Mary to carry his son into the world, to nurse his son, to bathe his son, to read stories to his son, to literally mother the God of the universe. And why? Because God desires to partner with humanity to bring heaven to earth. If that were not the case, then God could have just shown up like a transfer student. But the word, the living word of God, the living expression encamped among us. He lived with us. He played with the neighborhood kids. He made his bed and he did his chores. He lived with us. 
God sent Jesus to live with humanity as a human because he wants to partner with humanity to bring the rule and reign of heaven to earth. So as we approach this Christmas season, would you consider, consider this Christmas strategy? Would you just let your mind be filled with the wonder of this plan? Would you let your mind think about the plan of action that God took by sending Jesus as a human to live among us? That his aim was so that you would know who he is, that you would be able to return to the relationship that you were created and intended for, and that you would partner with him. Uh, I grew up not too far from here um, in Warwick, New York, and um, I grew up in a pretty chaotic household, uh, to say the least. My dad was a pastor of a church when I was very little, so little, in fact, that I don't actually remember this time in my life, because by the time that I was two, my dad had stepped down from this position because he got in trouble with the law. Uh, my father is bipolar. And that's not something that you understand when you're a small child. Uh, the context of that for me was when dad was in a good place, things were good and fun and exciting. And when dad was in a low place, dad disappeared for a while. Uh, my parents fought all the time. I have lots of memories of being in pharmacies as a kid uh, because my dad would self-medicate. He would write fake prescriptions and sign doctor's name and take painkillers. And so there was a period of time where I thought we were dropping him off at a hospital on the weekends, but it turned out that he was actually in prison. And the police would come when my parents would fight. And so home life was very chaotic, but church, because we were still kind of in and out at the time, was still a safe place for me. Some of my closest friends were there, and I remember asking Jesus to come and live in my heart in Sunday school as a little child. Um, but life was chaotic. And uh, it was messy and crazy, and I knew that my family looked different than a lot of other families. And by the time that I was in fourth grade, my dad went to prison for a very extended period of time. Uh, he was in jail for seven years after that, and then kind of in and out to this day, essentially. But from that time in fourth grade, um, life changed pretty drastically and dramatically for me. Uh, from my dad being our primary caretaker to him not being around meant that we had a lot of babysitters. Um, and me being the oldest had to step into responsibility and in taking care of my younger brother. And life was different because now from what I understood as a child, the fun one was gone. My mom had to be the responsible one because of the chaos that was going on in our home. And so life was crazy for me. But my best friend, as I mentioned, she was at church, and her name was Emily. And I would beg to have a play date with her, just like my kids do to me now, every Sunday after church. And so I spent many Sunday afternoons at her house. And her parents, Mr. Bruce and Miss Ann, were very loving and kind to me. And they stepped into this role of parents when I needed them to. And so Mr. Bruce would lovingly take me for these walks around the house where he would tell me all of my behavioral issues. Um, <laughs> but it was very loving and very fatherly. And he would correct me when I would call to ask for Emily on the phone. He would tell me the proper way to ask for somebody. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Bruce passed away at 9-11. But his wife, Miss Ann, continued to be an encouragement for me all throughout high school and college. And she supported me financially on a lot of mission trips that I was able to participate in. Mr. Bruce and Miss Ann partnered with God to bring heaven to earth for me. When I was in eighth grade, um, 
I heard about this program called Young Life. And Young Life uh, is a national program that comes into local communities and uh, they work with local churches and they go into different schools and they, they gather groups of teenagers to do Bible studies and fun teen camps. And uh, this woman named Mona came to my church and presented Young Life. And I met Mona in the eighth grade. And so from the time I was in eighth grade on through high school, Mona mentored me and she taught me how to love God's word. And she let me ask all of those strange, weird teenage questions. And she kept continually pointing me back to Jesus. Mona recognized that I was in need of a close relationship with Jesus, and so she partnered with God to bring heaven to earth for me. My junior year of high school, through Young Life, actually, I met a guy named Dave and his wife, Tara, and they worked for uh, Nikki Cruz Outreach, and they were training teenagers through performing arts of how to share the gospel and travel with Nikki Cruz domestically and internationally, sharing the good news of Jesus through testimony and through acting and singing and dance. And so Dave and Tara invited me to be a part of this team, and they taught me to love worship. And they opened up their home to me, and they shared stories with me, and they shared their life with me, and they continued to point me back to God, and they showed me who the Holy Spirit was. They called me out when I was wrong in loving ways, but they partnered with God to bring heaven to earth for me. I decided to attend Nyack College, and during freshman orientation, I met a woman named Wanda. I have no idea what she prayed for me that first week, but it was the very beginning of some deep inner healing that needed to take place in my life. Wanda continues to speak into my life and mentor me as a woman in ministry, and it's actually through Wanda and her husband, Ron, that Gabe and I first met Mike and Lisa. Ron, Wanda, Mike, Lisa, they partner with God to bring heaven to earth for me and for many others. There have been lots of people in my life who have partnered with God to bring the rule and reign of heaven to earth. And my desire, the whole reason that I do what I do is because I know that Jesus has made God the Father very real to me. Jesus, through his spirit, has shown me the love that the Father has for me. Through Jesus, I get to have the relationship with God that was intended for me in the very beginning. There's no longer any separation between the Father and I because of Jesus. I get to walk in the same closeness that was intended for me in the very beginning. And because of this, I get to and I want to partner with God to bring heaven to New City and to Congress, and to all across Rockland and wherever else he sends me. And I could spend hours telling you stories about my life or the lives of others that I've gotten to share life with and hear stories and pray with, but all of those experiences, all of those stories would lead me to the same conclusion, that this life without Jesus is too difficult, that this life without Jesus will always leave me disappointed, and that life without Jesus is just too painful to not have a friend like him. And friends, this is what Christmas is all about. This is what that baby boy wrapped in a manger is all about. God the Father desires to be in relationship with you. He desires for you to know him. He desires to be in close relationship with you. And he desires to partner with you. I believe that there is a hunger in all of us, that hunger that never fell. And oftentimes we've confused this hunger for something more, for greater job security, or for more money, or for perfect families. But that hunger, if we really listen to it, that hunger, if we really put an ear to it, is actually a hunger for the presence of God. And God has provided a way for you to fill that hunger through the birth of his son, Jesus.
church, he wants you to know him. He wants to be in relationship with you, and he wants to partner with you. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? I recognize that there are some of us in this room who've maybe not ever understood what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And this whole idea of just asking Jesus to come and live in our hearts, it it really doesn't make sense with our human minds, that all we have to do is believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that we then get to have this access to God. But don't let not completely understanding every nuance of this plan keep you from relationship. It is a free gift. He wants you to know that he sent his son so that you could be in relationship with the God of the universe. And some of us, maybe we've had this kind of relationship with God before and maybe we've grown distant or we've fallen away. I think today is the day to get back to that relationship, the relationship that you were created for in the very beginning. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for creating a way back to you. We believe you when you say in your word that all we have to do is confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that you are Lord and we will be saved. And so we confess and we believe that you are the Lord. We believe that you took everything in our humanity that was dark and shameful and you sent it to live on your son to die on a cross so that we could have access to you. And now we believe that nothing separates us because of the life of Jesus. And so we thank you for this strategic plan of bringing us back into relationship. We draw close to you this morning. We ask for a fresh filling of your presence this morning. I ask that you would come and fill God. Others of us, we need to step into mission and partnership with God. God does not waste anything. He wants to use you and he wants to use your life and your story to bring others into relationship with God. Would you ask the Father this morning for a strategy of who the relationships are, where the places are, who the people are that he's illuminating and highlighting to you? Not a strategy that you need to create, but one that he's already made because he loved first. A strategy of how to be a kingdom ambassador in your homes and your workplace. Church, God wants to partner with you. So Father, I ask that even now that you would begin to illuminate who the people in our lives are. That you would begin to show us the plans and the strategy that you're using through our lives to bring others to know you. God, we recognize that this was your plan with sending Jesus. Father, fill us again with this wonder. I ask that you would create opportunities for people to share their story. I ask you to come and to move, God. We give you permission to do what you want to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, before you go today... Before you leave, would you just remember that God the Father wants to know you, that he wants to be in relationship with you and he wants to partner with you. And if you've made a decision today to be in this kind of close relationship, we want to hear about it. Let today be the day that you start to share your story. Have a great week, everybody.